0: Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 126. Uh, Today, I have a young business leader with us today. So normally we have kind of some of the older generations, some of the guys that are kind of in the middle of it talking about their experience uh, in business and leadership and kind of everything in between. And so every once in a while, it's always nice to have somebody who's kind of fresh uh, into their entrepreneurial journey, their leadership journey. And so I'm excited to learn hopefully a little bit from him, and uh, hopefully uh, we all can learn something together kind of in this process. My guest today is Matt Morfopoulos. Uh, He's a recent graduate of the University of Oklahoma and a co-founder of Oklahoma-based SASS Startup Respond Flow as chief growth officer, Matt focuses on driving growth through product marketing and sales alignment. After growing respond flow from an idea in the classroom to a profitable business, it became clear that the key to success was doing things that don't scale and making technology more human. Matt, hello. Welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience. And if you can tell them a little bit more about yourself.
1: What's up guys. Thanks so much for the intro, Evan. Hi, my name is Matt Morphopoulos, and I am the co-founder of RespondFlow. Uh, So just to give an overview of what RespondFlow is, it's a SaaS product, meaning it's a software as a service. You can use it on the internet, on the go. Um, And what RespondFlow is, it's a text message automation platform, uh, similar to MailChimp, where you're able to automate text messages to your customers. Um, But the biggest thing that we're doing different than our competitors is that instead of sending a five-digit number, almost like AT&T, which is more of a notification or an update on something, we're taking a more human approach by giving customers 10-digit numbers where they can have one-on-one interactions with their own customers, making it more human.
0: That's awesome. I I think the technology is pretty cool. I'm, I'm still learning a little bit about it, obviously, since I called it. S A S S instead of S A S, but uh, I'm not down with all the acronyms anymore. It's too, it's too hard to keep up with all of them. Um, all right. But I do want to talk a little bit uh, to you, kind of about your journey, like where what got you from, you know, taking an idea in the classroom to to what it is today. But then I also want to talk a little bit about kind of the relationship side of it, because it, it, uh, if you look on your website and when we talked before, you talked a lot about how that human interaction and that human connection is so vital in kind of where technology is and businesses going forward. So um, let's start off a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey, because that's something that always intrigues me. Um, you said you started uh, this kind of at the University of Oklahoma or, or as you are kind of going through that part of it with some buddies, uh, and it's... it's since taking it from an idea, and uh, uh, something conceptual, and made it into something tangible. So can you talk through that journey a little bit? What did that look like? Uh, And at what point did you kind
1: of recognize, all right, I think we actually have something here? Right. Uh, So the biggest thing that, especially in the classroom, is that they always talked about you really want to find a pain point that someone has experienced, and most likely it's going to be your own pain point. And you might think that oh, if I have this pain, someone else might have that pain, and you go through a series of tests to validate that, okay, my hypothesis is correct. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So the concept really started um, when one of my co-founders, Martin Lian, he is the head of business development at a medical device company, and they tried countless ways to actually reach out to leads um, that they got from either Facebook ads, or maybe even cold leads that they had gone over time. but they tried calling, they tried emails, nothing really worked. But then when they tried actually sending these people, uh, these leads, a uh, text message, they actually found that the conversion rate increased by over 233%. And they kept testing, kept testing it, and it was working. Uh, but the biggest problem was that there were a small team, and they couldn't just manually text message every customer that came through the door. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we looked through everything and there really wasn't a provider or a vendor, um, that really automated, um, text messages at scale in a very human friendly way.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, I think I think that we're always looking at least I'm always looking for like you know those pain points that you're talking about because that's really what sales is right it's identifying a pain understanding your customers needs and trying to create a solution to fit that need and in this instance it was kind of technology focused but there was already technology that existed Right. That was doing something along these lines, but not necessarily to the extent of like what what really fit. So I think what we start kind of looking at is the different the difference between uh, creating and innovating right the the product was essentially already there, so what you did was you innovated it to actually fill that that pain point. And I think sometimes kind of as we're going through our journeys and we're trying to kind of figure out you know what what's the next thing that I'm going to do how am I going to kind of get to that next level how am I going to grow It's not that the I, that everything is that's out there already has a solution to it there may be a solution and it may suck it just may not be the best solution out there so look for ways to innovate, look for ways to kind of take that thing maybe two or three clicks better than it was before. And if you can do that, either there can a be a, an entire business behind it, or it just might make, make your job that much easier or um, make your
1: uh, company that much more efficient. And I'm so glad you said that, Evan, because so many people think that you kind of have to reinvent the wheel. Um, that we'll, The more time you spend in uh, the entrepreneurial community, the more you realize that, there are a million ideas that a million people have thought of and people have running businesses that are generating revenue um, with these ideas. But the real differentiator and what makes maybe like an iPhone or an Apple or maybe a Google who weren't really the first ones to execute an idea is that they went to the market uh, correctly and they found a pain point that nobody else was uh, so- solving. Yeah.
0: I I think that kind of in that whole thing, uh, there's another part there that you have to kind of overcome personally in your journey right and this it's you think about the millions of people that have thought about this pain point and whatever else but then you have to overcome the well why me why am i the person that that needs to fix this problem or why why has nobody else thought of that and i think sometimes we discount kind of the tool set that we bring to the table and uh, i think what will ultimately happen is if you disregard that You'll find yourself at some point going, I had that idea, that was my idea, but you never did anything about it. And so then you're going to start to kind of sit back and watch somebody else take this business, take this idea, take this innovation that you had, and really make it what you could have done with it. So kind of with that said, at some point you had to make the decision, like I'm the guy or we're the group of people that can solve this problem. Uh, can you talk me through that part? Cause that's really intriguing to me is taking it from that. Like, I think there's something here to like, man, I think there's an actual business here. And I think we're the people to do that. So kind of talk me through that process. How did you
1: get from, uh, you know, point A to point B? Cause that's a big step. Oh, completely. Um, and when the first, when the idea first, uh, came about, um, we, we were already working on some other startups and that's kind of how the team came together. Um, we had uh, three initial co-founders uh, and then we added on a fourth um, and we had a machine learning expert and then also a guy who was um, uh, Martin who was had worked in AI startup uh, that was text focused and was really familiar with the entire industry um, and then I've been working on growth and marketing initiatives for quite a while on online businesses um, and then tackling on uh, Peter Daggett who's an amazing sales guy uh, that we really felt that, one, we had market validation because our initial customers that we kind of prospected, they were paying us to finish the product, they were hungry for the product. Um, And then getting out into the market and actually talking to people, we found that this is something that people are looking for and not everybody realizes that they can be texting their customers because Right now, everyone knows, oh, there's email marketing, and maybe there's some mid-market and enterprise uh, uh, businesses that know text message is the new revolution right now, but there's a lot of SMBs and maybe like low to mid-market competitors or businesses that don't realize that's an option for them, and no one's really presented that to them.
0: Yeah, so at that point... I, I, I don't know if social proof is the bre- is the best uh, word for it, but you, you kind of got out there, you started doing the research a little bit, you started realizing that the need was maybe, uh, you validated the need, right? And then you started to actually take the steps towards building the, product, uh, building the product. But at that point, at some point here, there's a financial investment on your end, right? So you're having to actually start putting money into this thing. So kind of talk me through that. You're, you're starting to put some money into it. Maybe you don't have a lot of resources or maybe you're getting some outside people that are investing in it. Uh, and, and now it's almost like the ball's rolling. Did you ever feel like the ball kind of started going a little bit faster than you were ready for, or do you feel like kind of the whole way through you, you had a pr- pretty good grip on where everything was going?
1: I think uh, we had a pretty good grip just because um, the team had been working at startups, I think, collectively. Uh, after doing a accelerator, um, we found out that all of us cohesively had made, uh, of course not, super successful businesses, but at least we had collectively 22 businesses all together between all four of us. Mm-hmm. And so we've all failed. We've failed heavy. We've had some successes along the way. And I think uh, we just had enough failure to understand how to scale or at least get that initial traction to where we are today. Yeah. And I think talking about failure, it feels
0: cliche to me now because it's kind of an essential part of leadership. But at the on the other side of it, um, I think it's really cool that you're taking the stance that we've we failed so much <laughs> that we we were actually more qualified to do it. Some people would say, "Well, you know, man, I'm a failure. <laughs> like everything I've tried has absolutely failed." But I think on the other side of it, maybe when you're looking at it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you're looking at it as that's a lot of experience that I have that I can bring to the table of what not to do and and how we can make this better. So was that something that you just kind of knew, like going into it, we're going to fail, and that's that's part
1: of it, or was was that kind of something that you learned along your journey? Well, I think it's kind of twofold. One, we we knew where to go. We knew how to set processes up initially so that we could actually find growth levers initially. Um, and I think being able, being in uh, companies or having experiences in places where we've been privy to those processes, we were able to take from those and apply it to Uh, respond flow. uh but then the other half, which is also a part of failure, but also to avoid failure, uh, we had a lot of really amazing mentors where we went out, asked questions, and we were able to avoid a lot of those costly mistakes that yeah. would end business. Absolutely. I, I've i talked about it in previous podcasts,
0: but I, I kind of think about like your, your journey, right? It's, it's not a straight path. It's not always a straight line. There's, there's going to there's gonna be peaks and there's going to be valleys uh, in your journey, whether it be as a business, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, whatever else. But uh, I think it's key, and I, I want to kind of hit on this because I mean, even, you know, in the early phases of, of your career, you're already talking about mentorship. And mentors are really the bridges that kind of Uh, level out those peaks and valleys that get you to the next peak as opposed to having go through the valley first. And if you can really find the right ones that are willing to invest in you, that believe in what you're doing, um, that's something that can really accelerate your process and and teach you things like it's okay to fail. It's okay uh, to have that experience, but you need to learn from it. Failure Uh, is something that you want to have happen often and quickly so you can fail fast and fail cheap. It's much better to do that than to fail and have it cost you a lot of money. So kind of learning from that and getting the right people alongside you uh, to kind of grow whatever you're trying to grow, that that can make a huge difference. And and you've had access to a bunch of great resources. You're, You're in Oklahoma City, if I remember correctly. And there's right. some great resources there. I know in Tulsa, we have 36 degrees north and the forge. But talk about how some of those uh, launch pads have really helped you in your journey, and, and almost kind of demystify uh, the, this entrepreneurial journey, whereas maybe you would have just started out on your own and had no clue what you're, you're doing. But now with resources like that, it, made, it, it makes it that much more
1: attractive for you to, to start your own thing. Right, I I think it all started at OU because all the co-founders are OU grads. uh, Three of us are actually entrepreneurship uh, students or were entrepreneurship students. Um, And I think the program's just super excellent uh, going through that. But then also at the school, uh, initially we had the Sooner Innovation Fund, which Mm -hmm. gave you up to $5,000 to validate and test your idea. Um, And I think just having this really strong culture of test and test in a safe environment where you can play around with things to where when you actually do have to go out and uh, test the market with real money, you'd be able to do it confidently because you've either made those mistakes or you've made those mistakes with a cushion. Mm -hmm. Um, And going off of that, um, the next phase was probably uh, going to I2E. Uh, We went through their venture assessment program. Um, uh, There's a lot of amazing people uh, there. they, they, I think they're in Tulsa too, um, I believe. Um, but they have some really great strong mentors there. Uh, but probably the best resource that we've got in my opinion has been the thunder launch pad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's run by, uh, Erica and Chris Lucas. They're kind of a power couple. Um, <laughs> really amazing. They're like celebrities. Um, but it's basically an accelerator program uh, out of OKC uh, and Tulsa, where they accept uh, entrepreneurs as a nonprofit, so they don't take any equity. And uh, their whole thesis is to make entrepreneurship and make the ecosystem out here more equitable for everybody, um, no matter your color, uh, sex, orientation, anything. And so, um, but they've opened up so many avenues for us, in particular. Um, just in education, educating us on um, um, just product market fit, giving us mentorship, uh, introducing us to networks of mentors who are just uh, amazing people in their industries, experts, veterans, um, and even access to some capital. Um, It's been a crazy experience.
0: Well, that's great. And I'm really encouraged uh, to see things like that. I know obviously kind of where we're located, it seems like there's been an, uh, a pretty strong push for that uh, recently. I don't know that it's always looked like that, or maybe it's just we're at a. am at a point where I'm paying a lot more attention to it. But I think right now for entrepreneurship and, and for, especially for guys like you that are graduating from college and trying to figure out kind of what that next step looks like, uh, you have the advantage of you know going to an entrepreneurial focused major but at the same time you know being able to jump uh, and ease that transition into kind of identifying what you want your entrepreneurial journey to look like through programs like this i think that's fantastic because again that's going to help minimize the your failure rate so you can fail fast and fail cheap but at the same time uh put you in the best position for a long term Uh, business strategy as opposed to, like, I hope this works. (laughs) Right. I want to talk a little bit about um, the human part of what you're doing and the relational part of what you're doing. Because I feel like, you know, if you look at maybe how society is going right now, uh, there's less and less human interaction. And it's kind of funny to me that the more human interaction that that you're focusing on is text message, which I think is, like, almost people's preferred um, method of communication. I got people that I, I I know that I, if I call them, they're not going to answer, which is (laughs) ridiculous to me, but that's, that's kind of how it is. Uh, and so text messages has become that more personal communication point. And so you've kind of centered your product around that, but I think that speaks to more like a greater message. And and I think it's really intriguing that as an, you know, as a young business person, that that personal connection is still important because I I would have assumed that we were going to go heavily into automation and lessen into personal interaction, and yet you're kind of saying the opposite is true: is that automate where you can, but still maintain that personal relationship because that's very important to the success of your product.
1: Right. Yeah, and it, it's crazy because. I mean, you've seen your LinkedIn uh, inbox and there's probably a million people just blasting you saying, hey, buy my thing. Hey, buy my service. And you you know they're kind of trying to sell you. And mm-hmm. I think this divide and what's happening is that people are becoming more privy to automation. So they're trying, they're starting to distrust it. And they're really searching for genuine connections nowadays. Mm-hmm. They're not searching for a... Uh, This guy is going to sell snake oil or someone who's just there for the sell. They're looking for people who value you as a person, as an individual, and they want to build a long-term relationship, not just a quick transactional one.
0: Yeah. uh, After this, I want to talk to you about something where you you just got to get three friends uh, underneath you and have them start kind of selling the same thing that I'm selling. And then underneath them, if they get three more (laughs) – Um, it can be a great business for you. I'll I'll talk to you about it later. But uh, (laughs) no, I I think that's, I think that's kind of what people, I think people instantly go on the defensive when they're, you know, maybe contacted out of the blue or whatever else. And it's, it's, there's that, that personal communication hasn't been there. And so they immediately think, why is this person, you know, reaching out to me that, you know, maybe hasn't in the past. And I think some people for the, for what you're doing, they don't realize maybe that text messages can be automated, and so they feel like uh, it's a more personal interaction. I know on the you know Facebook they have these chat bots now that can mimic conversations as a as a as a person. And I've done some tests because I'm in marketing too. Uh, mm-hmm. We've done some testings with you know creating some of those uh, interactions in a chat box. And your response rates are much higher. People feel like they're actually talking to somebody and not necessarily talking to a robot. And I'm sure at some point those lines will be blurred, but I think it's really important to note that even when you're building something new and you're kind of going heavy on the technology side, that you still need to find a way to incorporate relationship into there and you still need to find a way to connect with people as opposed to just blast stuff at them all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And especially as a young startup tech focused, there's going to be a lot of problems along the way. Nothing's really clean and there's no easy answers. And so actually one of the first things we really learned from our early mentors was that find your early customers, become their best friends, treat them like royalty, because they're going to be the ones that are going to be like, hey, your thing broke a little bit. I need you to fix this, this, and this, but they're going to stick with you through those hard times. Um, And you don't really find early stage SaaS, well you do, but very frequently do you find early adopters um, or successful SaaS companies come from very unloyal early adopters. And so it's really important to build those relationships with those initial users just so you can iterate. You can learn about what their needs are and go going back to that pain point of what are they actually getting out of this? What is really speaking to their humanity? And how can you provide that to other people at scale? And it all starts with just treating them amazingly and becoming <laughs> really fr- good friends with them. <laughs> and I think the irony of all that is, it, that sounds really basic, right? That sounds
0: like common sense. Mm-hmm. But I think the funny thing about it kind of all of this conversation is that's not the norm. The norm is to just kind of ignore people, just do have the product be what it's going to be. don't necessarily listen to them. Say you have a customer service department, but not really have a customer service department. (laughs) I think customers, which is sad, are programmed to think that you don't care and you don't listen. And so you can actually build a real loyal customer base just by, Listening just by doing some of these common sense things which all goes back to relationship right is Mm -hmm. building that relationship for them, letting them know that you have their back uh, And that you're in a partnership with them to the extent where they're going to act as a good partner to you Have you experienced that with with your product where you you know, some of your loyal customers have have uh, you know said? Hey, I think you could do this or hey This is a problem and you know, we can we hopefully you can fix this has that kind of happened.
1: Oh, yeah I mean any early stage technology company is gonna face those things. And for our early uh, users, they've they've been nothing but amazing and excellent to us. Uh, and we can't help but reciprocate. Um, like anytime that they feel like there could be something better or improved, um, they always tell us, um, especially we have a uh, little chat widget um, and they'll just come in, they'll message us like, hey, like, really liked what you did on this feature, this update. Oh, I think you could change this up here and there. But uh, building that open transparency with them is super important. Uh, and it, it really is how you iterate and make your product great, not just good. Yeah. Well, they're the ones that are using it, right? And so yeah.
0: they, they do have a, a voice. They have, they have kind of that frontline voice knowledge and if you're willing to listen to it and you know sometimes we get you know it's our baby right like you know we've created it we've spent you've invested our time and our money into this and then you get this customer and you think things are going good and they make a suggestion and yeah I think it's really easy to interpret that as someone calling your baby ugly and you're just (laughs) you're you're gonna get offended and be like they don't know what they're talking about and I think sometimes we got to put our pride aside and put put like our you know take our little corporate hat off for a second and recognize hey there might they might have a point and they might be telling me like, you know, something that's a blind spot for us that we can improve. And I think Mm -hmm. if you can approach it from that angle, you can make your product that much better. Now, obviously, you know, not, not saying that every suggestion someone gives you is going to be amazing, you know, kind of, you know, flush it out, but at the same time, be willing to listen and not necessarily, um, write everything off and just say, you know, we know what's best for our customers. Sometimes your customers will innovate for you and all you have to do is just listen.
1: And that's that weird conundrum between expertise and just beginner's mindset that some people are so entrenched in certain uh, technicalities of their industry that they don't reflect and they're not willing to listen to outside perspective that may be completely contrarian to what they've been kind of grown and uh, kind of nurtured into over the last decade. And so that's why I really think it's important to not get siloed into anything and to be really open-minded and say, be open-minded that somebody who might not even be in your industry could probably just innovate it better than you could.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that definitely hurts your pride a little bit. A little bit. (laughs) <laughs> well, kind of going through that, right? So we're talking about relationship and how important that is. Uh, we've kind of gone through your journey a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about what success means to you, because when you're in a startup, you know, obviously, success is something that we look at as like, you know, when we hit this large amount of volume or we have a certain amount of revenue coming in. Uh, obviously, like, you know, some people are they're just working up for the title, but at this, you know, when you're starting a startup you're kind of everything, right? You're the CEO, you're the CMO, you're the you know, CFO, you're all of these things. You know, there's a couple of you, but you already have the title, but not necessarily everything else that kind of goes with that. So as you're kind of going through building a product and building a business, uh, how do you guys define success? How do you guys know that you're going the right direction and have that kind of piece that you know, you're doing the right thing as opposed to just looking in the bank account and going, oh man, it's going to be a little tight this month.
1: Well, you could kind of look, look at that in a lot of different ways, um, and I think we could look at it from an individual or a, a company or a group perspective. Um, I think I'm going to start out with the one, the startup uh, perspective, um, that really the market is in charge. Market is king. Uh, like you said, you could build whatever you want, but at the end of the day, like it's the market that decides what's good. So uh, success to the startup would be building something that's actually of value to our customers and really listening to them, which is something a lot of businesses don't do, um, and which obviously maximizes eventually revenue and uh, success in that light. But then you can kind of go into a little bit of a higher level thing from an individualistic standpoint of me, for example. Um, I, I know going into a lot of this, I had friends who were going into careers into big uh, consulting companies, Uh, Going on to the coast, uh, but I chose to stay here because success to me is more so being really comfortable in what I'm doing and that being authentically myself um, and being surrounded by people who really make myself the best person I can be. And I'm doing something that I find really interesting, and fascinating. But to the group, it's more of just supporting each other. Success means uh, just being there for each other because it's not... It's not sexy. Uh, Like we, I know a lot of people say that like when Facebook came alive uh, that they're like, oh, Zuckerberg nowadays is making billions, but it wasn't sexy when they were building this thing. They were probably like guys in a basement eating pepperoni pizza for like the 10th day straight for weeks on end. So it's it's more of just the camaraderie and like doing something bigger than yourself that you believe in and trusting that process. Yeah,
0: I I wanted to ask you that question because I'm always kind of curious to how people define success in the different phases of life that they're in and the different stages that they're in. Because, you know, when I was a young business person, a a young business leader, it it was it was the title and it was the salary. Like if I if I had those metrics like that was like, I'm a success or if I'm hitting these numbers, I'm a success. But the challenge was, was, you know, I started putting my identity into what I perceived as success. And so when that happens, if you're not hitting those numbers or you're not at that point yet, your default is to say, well, I'm a failure. I've, I've not achieved those things, and so I'm not successful. And I think it's really important, especially in those early phases when you're building something, to not put that pressure on yourself right off the bat and start focusing on you know, what are other metrics that we can, we can uh, pinpoint as successful metrics. So it could be market validation. That, that can definitely be one. Another one could be um, just the uh, you know solving the, solving the problem another one could be you know getting the first ten customers, not a million customers just ten customers uh, or just becoming profitable uh, you know there's all these different things that you can start looking at and say all right if I can define success these ways then I know that I'm doing a good job and if I know that I'm doing a good job I can have a little bit more peace when I'm not working instead of having to kind of worry about am I doing this right am I getting the job done that I need to get done uh, am Am I successful? Uh, Because I think if we're defined by our success, uh, it's going to be a roller coaster of emotions throughout your entire journey.
1: Right, and so would you say your own? Do you think a lot of people actually compare and benchmark themselves off of other people?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think
1: I think in early fate, like again,
0: one of the reasons that I have this podcast is to hopefully dispel that, right? Because when you when you go through life. In the you know the early stages, right, kind of all the way up to the point where you're at right now is it's graduated from college, starting a business, finding yourself in a leadership role. Um, I think up until that point, you've, you've kind of had a scoreboard, right? You've, yeah. you've been able to say, I got A's in these, this class, or you know, I played sports and you know, we won because we scored more points than they did, or I've done X, Y, and Z, and, and there's some sort of validation in terms of like, how successful I am. But I think what happens is when you start getting into the work world, you kind of lose the scoreboard a little bit and you don't really know whether or not you're successful. And so you start looking to, okay, what is something that I can say is successful? Well, for me it was how much money am I making? What's my salary? What's my what was my commission check? That that's how I know that I'm successful. But then I start defining myself by that, and that's when I start chasing those things. And when you start chasing those things, You don't have peace, and you don't have like true fulfillment in what you're doing. You don't enjoy it anymore, because you're always chasing something. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't chase things and you shouldn't try strive to you know have good sales and and whatever else. But what I'm saying is, if you put your identity in that, whenever you don't hit your sales goal and whenever you don't hit those things, you're mentality then goes, I'm a failure. My self-worth was put into that. I am now less value because of X, Y, and Z. And I think that's where you can start to have a lot of worry. You can start to have a lot of anxiety. You can start tripping over into depression. And I think it's important to say, you know, it's good to have a scoreboard and it's good to have an idea of, you know, what success looks like. But when you start getting into these roles where it's unclear what success looks like, you need to ask yourself the question: Is my self worth and is my view of success also my identity? It, identity, and if, if I don't separate those two, I'm going to have to recognize at some point that I'm going to be on a roller coaster, and I need to be okay with that. And I don't. I, I've learned it's too stressful to be on that kind of roller coaster, um, especially as you start adding more responsibility to everything that you're doing. You start to you get married, you have kids, you start putting kids in school, you have all these expenses that you have to do. You get kind of that far down the line, and you haven't separated those two things, and now you're not hitting the number that you need to hit, I mean, that weight starts to really weigh you down. And if I were to kind of say anything to the audience today, it would be redefine what that success is, especially early in your career, because that scoreboard kind of goes away, and it shouldn't just be how much you sell, how much money you make. It should be tied to multifaceted things. And if you do that, you're going to have a lot more peace and,
1: and energy in what you do. So uh, it's kind of funny because I remember us having the same exact conversation uh, a few calls ago. Um, and I think something that a lot of young people get tripped up with, and I know I've been there before too, and I still am, everyone's on this kind of uphill battle. It's aligning yourself with who you are, what you're naturally great at, and something that you could really put your mind and soul into. Uh, just because I, there are so many people going and getting degrees they're getting jobs. They're living lives that, on paper and from what they've learned from their families before, uh, is success. But it doesn't necessarily align with their core values of who they are. So it's, it's not repeatable. It's we talk about scalability. It's not a scalable way to live your life when the drivers of it isn't something that's naturally produced within you. Yeah. And so, what to kind of manifest this is kind of difficult you got to step back think of what you really love what what you really want to do in life the why behind everything uh and then it really doesn't matter what the outcome is um because i know uh, similar to my co-founders and i we've talked about this before um it's we 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 want to be successful but we also want to just do something really great and better and make something bigger than ourselves um and we just love the process of what we're doing um it's where it's amazing that you get to a certain point, but eventually it's more of yourself loving what you're doing with the people that you love. And you couldn't imagine yourself doing anything other than that. And so that kind of pushes you through those tough times to where you can be successful, but even in the down times, you can keep trusting that process because it's not those nice shiny toys that keep you going in the day, beginning of the day. It's I'm with, I'm doing what I'm meant to do. Yeah. I think that's
0: really kind of what I would hope that the message of like all of these podcasts is, is really kind of helping you dial into that. I'm in the process of doing your one degree with Dave Jewett. I don't know if you've heard of that program before, but mm-hmm. it talks about kind of identifying what your core drivers are, not just your strengths or talents, um, but ultimately the things that kind of create or make you uniquely you and and things that energize you. I, I, I've done Berkman's, I've done. Uh, the the strength finders and they all kind of align in the same direction of identifying like what what are the things that like define me but also what unique experiences have kind of led me to develop these skills and now I'm at a point of uh, if I've identified those skills trying to practice using those skills and validate them as my drivers so for mm-hmm. example, if, if one of my things is, and we talked about in the beginning, innovating. So, one of the things that I love to do is I can always look for ways to make things better. So, that's just a natural thing that I've done. And so, in my work and in my life and everything that I'm doing, if I recognize that and I see an opportunity to innovate, I'm going to do it and then I'm going to kind of take uh, inventory of what happened. Is it something that energized me? Was I passionate about it? Did I enjoy doing it? You know, is this something that I get fulfillment from? If so, then that validates that driver. Now, as I'm starting to look at kind of the next phase of my career, whatever that may be, um, I can be a lot more intentional with the path that I take. When you're in your 20s uh, and you're kind of graduating from school, you have a lot of energy and you have a lot of time and you have low responsibility, so you can get a lot of things done. So it, it it's okay to to screw up and or, or fail or have you know challenges because you can bounce back really quickly. As you kind of get into you know your 30s and your 40s. You don't have the same amount of energy, and you definitely don't have the same amount of time, so you need to be a lot more selective with if you're going to make a change in your career or if you want to you know, kind of reposition what you're doing to better fit the things that drive you, you need to know what those core values and you need to know what those drivers are, and then you can start making decisions based on those. So I think it's awesome that you're tuned into that as early uh, as you are right now because that's going to make you that much more focused going into the next- couple phases of your career and your leadership journey because you can start to say, all right, as I'm doing these things, as I have these strengths, these are the areas that I I need to focus on. And I can kind of delegate out the things that that are not my strengths so that I'm not frustrated and I'm not, uh, you know, volunteering for things or or taking on tasks that don't fit my skill set. And then ultimately, I don't feel like a failure because I'm not able to do these things. I'm not good at accounting and I'm totally good with that. So I'm going to delegate that to somebody that I know that's good at accounting and I'm going to have a lot more peace in my job and a lot more fulfillment in what I do instead of having to stare at spreadsheets and stare at QuickBooks or whatever else to try to make sure that everything's you know lining up the way that it should. But there's other people that can do that without even thinking. And I think a good leader, especially like when you get to the point where you know, you have a, a core group of people that you're doing things with, is identifying what everybody's strengths are and then making sure that those people are operating in their strengths, and you're not putting them in a position to potentially fail or get burned out on
1: something that their skill set doesn't necessarily fit. Mm-hmm. And I really love what you said about decision making because I know I, I'm guilty of this all the time, even now, uh, is taking on things and a million different things, and sometimes it's out of necessity, but at the end of the day, uh, it's knowing when to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I feel like it's a simple thing, yeah, like say no to people, but it's really hard. Like uh, <laughs> one, one of the uh, mentors uh, in, at OU when I was a senior was Mike Beckham uh, of Simple Modern, and one of his biggest pieces of advice is that you really need to find that alignment of why are you doing this? Um, as an individual in an organization, just because you need to kind of foster what makes you you and make sure to avoid, not in a negative light, but more so to say no to opportunities that you would have had that you think wouldn't add to the value of your purpose, of your why. And the same thing for a company, like you go with your strengths, you find what you do amazingly well, and then you might give up some opportunities to build some cool features to, Build out some cool product lines down the line, but you're really staying true to who you are. Not that you're not looking at Sally or Jim down there and saying, "Oh, they're doing this. Maybe I should try that, or maybe I should get into this." Um, and I'm, you're in the agency life too, so you understand. Of, oh, this agency has these capabilities. Uh, maybe we should get into this, but it's like, oh, wait, that's not what we do well. Right. We, that's not what we're great at, and that we wouldn't be able to give the most value to ourselves and feel the most accomplishment, but also to our customers. And so it goes back to that simple, just saying no. (laughs) Absolutely. I
0: think you can grow by saying no, because you can ultimately identify, you know, the things that are best suited for you. And you don't have to be everything to everybody. You can, you can really Mm -hmm. hone that in. Now that said, since we're talking to young business leaders, you do need to get out there and and try a bunch of things. Like you have the time, you have the energy right now, it's okay just recognize that it's okay to fail, but that's going to give you that validation of like when you do try something that does match your skill set and does match the things that drive you, then you're going to have that validation in there as opposed to, you know, when you're going through some of these things like strength finders and you're going through Gallup and and one degree, You're going to be looking at specific instances in your life that you've done, and you're going to say, I did this, and I enjoyed it, and I I felt energized. Like, I felt like I could do it for 80 hours a week and totally be fine. The only reason you know that is because you've done it. And so I think it's it's really important, and kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, is, you know, you had failed enough, which – to me means you tried enough things to identify these are some of the things that I'm good at, these are the, some of the things that I'm not good at. And so you can start to kind of hone in and you know start making some of those micro adjustments towards, you know, something that you were truly passionate about. But I, I think whenever Whenever you're in high school and you're sitting there going, what college am I going to go to and what I want my degree to be, I don't think you have enough experience in really anything to make that decision. So it's almost like you're just opening up the college brochure and you're looking at this menu of things and you're like, oh, well, if I'm a doctor, I know I'll make a decent amount of money. And you're not taking in consideration, like, what am I passionate about? Like, what are the things that I've done? So I think it's really important, you know, when you're in that early phase to – start trying a bunch of stuff and, and get out there. I mean, everything from, you know, the arts and, and being artistic all the way to and creative all the way to more technical things like computers and technology and coding, and just get out there and experiment with those things. Because uh, I think you talked about it a little earlier, you have a lot of things that you may be good at. And it kind of goes back to the power of saying no, y- you may be good at something, but it's not a driver for you. It's not something that energizes you. And so going back to the accountant example, you could be really good with numbers and really good with math, but hate accounting. But you think to yourself, well, you know, my mom and dad think that I'm good at accounting and so-and-so is a CFO and I've talked to them and they seem to think that I could do this. And then you, you go down the path and you get your CPA and you do all this other stuff and then you start working and you're like, man, I hate every minute of the job that I'm doing. And it's because outside factors determined your career path as opposed to you really honing into the best version of yourself. And I think that's where it goes back to kind of that comparison thing that we talked about, which is if I'm comparing myself to somebody who's maybe operating in their drivers, I'm like, man, I'm just inspired to go do something because that person is just awesome at that. They may be operating in their drivers, but their drivers are not your drivers. Mm -hmm. And if you go out and do that and try to do it with the same energy and whatever, you just won't have the same uh, energy pool to pull from to do what they're doing. So, Find out what those things are for you. Be willing to fail. Be willing to try a bunch of stuff, especially when you're young, because that's going to help you really hone in to the thing that you're passionate about and, and energized to do. Sorry, I got long-winded on that, but I'm kind of passionate about that stuff.
1: Oh, no, I completely agree. I love that.
0: <laughs> I think that when I think back to kind of my my journey, is like, man, I wish somebody had told me that. I wish somebody had been there to say, you know what? It's okay right now to to try stuff. And I I just, I only wanted to try the things that I knew I'd be good at. And I think that was my first mistake. I was like, can I be successful at that? I'm a very competitive person. Can I be good at this? If not, then I'm not going to bother trying it. But I probably missed out on some things that I would have truly enjoyed doing just because I predetermined in my mind, I only want to be good at it right off the bat. And that can be a very dangerous path. And so now, you know, 5, 10, 15 years later, I'm finally trying some stuff that I was too cool to try back then. And I actually enjoy it. And, you know, here I am, you know, talking to people on podcasts saying, oh, I wish I had done that. So hopefully you can learn from a guy like me or, or learn from some of the people that we have on this podcast. Be willing to try that stuff. It, it, it you don't. It, it doesn't matter how cool it looks. If it's something that energizes you and really drives you those are the things that you really want to pursue because that's going to make all the difference in the world with what you deem to be success and how you can grow as a leader. I left you speechless. I love it. (laughs) I'm just like, man, that's powerful. (laughs) Well, I want to hear a little bit uh, from you uh, kind of on this journey uh, as we kind of wrap this up a little bit. We've talked about a a broad range of topics, but I know that in the journey, there are catalyst moments. There are moments where you're, you're kind of moving along and then you meet a person or you you have this customer come along or you have this breakthrough and it really accelerates those things. Can you talk about maybe some of that in in the process of what you've been through and, uh, and what that was able to do and how you were like kind of looking back at it, like what that really kind of changed the trajectory of what you were doing?
1: Mm-hmm. So... I'd say kind of looking back, there, there's a lot of moments uh, along the way, but I'd say the first initial one, uh, man, I, w- I was in an IBC class. Uh, it was a business class where I got to join a company and actually make a product and sell goods. Um, wasn't my favorite class, but <laughs> I did, yeah, I, it wasn't my favorite class, but I did meet one friend, Austin Strain. Um, really good friend of mine. Um, but he, I'd always been interested in startups and, uh, interested not necessarily in technology, but, um, in owning my own business, uh, just because I was around a lot as a kid. Um, I taught Pilates, um, and some movement modalities. So I'd already been kind of building up some clientele back home. Uh, but going into college, I didn't really think technology was a thing. Uh, but he asked me after the class, uh, cause we'd become really good friends. Do you want to try this online business with me? And, uh, it was a simple drop shipping site, which if nobody knows what this is, I'm sure somebody does. Um, it's a, um, basically you build a website online and you source from China and you're acting as a third party. So you don't have to actually have any, uh, supplies on demand. Yeah. It gets automatically sent. But he invited me out to uh, actually do this with him, and we did it step by step. We had no clue what we were doing. Like when I say no clue, I know nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was really fun just kind of going step by step with him, wasting a lot of our time doing things we shouldn't have been doing, uh, even looking back of like, oh, I wish I did this this way. Um, But that was probably the first moment where I really understood. I loved digital marketing. I loved building online products and that I really just wanted to make things. And I kind of owe it to him a lot, a large portion of that. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: Um, if you can, um, tell everybody a little bit about like, how do they, uh,
1: kind of learn more about RespondFlow if they want to learn about that? How do they connect with you? What does that look like? Well, cool. totally. Uh, so you can check out RespondFlow. It's at respond Flow, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, You could also check out our website, www.respondflow.com. If they want to reach out to me, um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Um, I'm under Matt Morphopoulos, M-O-R-F-O-P-O-U-L-O-S. It's a huge Greek name, uh, (laughs) but then I'm also reachable on Twitter with the same uh, handle. Awesome. Well, I've kind of told you this moment
0: was coming. It's an opportunity to kind of speak to that next generation of business leaders. And I think the cool thing is, is you're kind of right in the middle of it. Uh, You've kind of gone maybe the first couple steps into your leadership journey. Um, but I'm sure there's some things that you've learned along the way and some things that you might maybe would have done differently kinda as you've gone through this journey. So what would your message be to a young business leader who's getting started maybe, you know, right when when you started your idea of of creating this business and, and uh and and essentially launching the business, what would your message be to somebody who's jumping right into that?
1: Be yourself like learning to be yourself is probably the biggest superpower you could ever have. And uh, that's something I actually learned pretty recently from uh, a guy um, in the startup community um, that when, when you're talking to people and you're actually really learning things and you're trying to go on your path, it's it, it gets difficult because if you're not undoubtedly yourself, other people realize you're kind of being fake to yourself. Like, yeah. you, you know, when you go up to a bar and, uh, and you meet somebody and you're like, man, they, they just want, they had this wall up. Well, a lot of people have that around themselves and figuring out who you are and really just expressing that to the entire world opens up a world of opportunities because like you said, a lot of people will say no to you, but that just opens a door to so many other people who would love to have you in their lives that could lead down some amazing journeys. Yeah,
0: I think that's uh, very insightful because when you think about some of the people that people are drawn to, they're not drawn to people that are carbon copies of things. They're drawn to people who are uniquely themselves. And so if you can have that overflow into your, your personal life and your business life and your leadership life, I think that's what's going to make you that much better of a leader.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally agree.
0: Awesome, man. Well, Matt, thank you for taking the time to to tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and your kind of uh, leadership journey as you, you've gone through this this process, I'm really excited to kind of see that next generation of leaders as they've kind of come up and you know started to tune into some of these things that you know I've thought for a long time has been common sense, but not a lot of people do. But kind of see other people are seeing you know similar things about the importance of relationship and personalizing thing and being your true authentic self. I think that stuff right there. Uh, if we're kind of listening and reading in between the lines of kind of this entire conversation, I, I think. You, if you can pick up some of those clues, it's going to make your leadership journey uh, that much uh, quicker, uh, and it's going to make you a better leader uh, throughout your entire process. But uh, thank you so much for sharing this. Obviously, uh, you know, we'll put the links uh, in, the, in the show notes so that people can connect with you. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.